I want to thank you for subscribing to our podcast and for listening today. Feel free if you would like uh, to rate and review us. Uh, we would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor or if you would want more information about our church, you can text CONNECT to 903 586 6520 and we will uh, certainly follow up with you if you would like to uh, support the ministry here at, at fellowship bible church uh, we would greatly appreciate that uh, we have worked hard to improve our our video quality and our online capabilities so that you can watch us during this uh, difficult time away safely from a distance so uh, if you would if you would like to support the ministry here you can text give to the same number 903-586-6520 we would greatly appreciate your support and again thank you for listening in When you study the life of Christ, while there are a number of details we're given about his life, there are certain things that we're not told. While we are told that he got tired, he got hungry, he got angry with a, with a righteous anger, didn't sin, he wept. We're not told he laughed or joked, though we assume he, being truly human, that he did. We're not told that he did. Yet while that's the case, in Luke chapter 14, the religious leaders certainly thought Jesus was joking when he told them the parables that he told them, the one we looked at last week and the one we're going to look at this morning. You have your Bibles turned there, Luke chapter 14. We're continuing our study through Luke, and today we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 24. We return again this morning to this awkward dinner party with Jesus and these religious leaders. Jesus and his disciples, in this point in Luke's gospel, they are making their way to Jerusalem, and we're told by Luke on a Sabbath day that Jesus is invited to dine with an important religious leader. We're told that he was a ruler of the Pharisees. And while eating with them, Jesus observes, like he did many times before, he observes how they are seated at the table. This is the way they normally sat with the host front and center, that was the head, and the most important people, the, one he, the ones he was honoring the most, they would be seated at his right and his left, and it would just flow out from there, from, from most to least important. And Jesus notices this probably a hundred times before this or more, but he chooses on this occasion to comment on it, to teach them an important truth about the kingdom. And he does it through a series of parables. And we talked about, we've talked about before, talked about last week, that parables are earthly stories that tell heavenly 
truths, that teach heavenly truths. Parable is parabolase, it means to throw alongside. It's a story thrown alongside a truth to illustrate and highlight that truth. And Jesus sees, by the way in which they're seated, their desire to be honored in the eyes of men. And we said they functioned on the idea of reciprocity. This is the idea, if I scratch your back, you scratch mine. If I honor you and sit you at a place of honor at my feast, then you're to do the same for me. And that's how they function, back and forth. And Jesus lets them know through the parable that he tells, tells that while that may, may get you a good seat at a feast, at a prominent Pharisee's house, that gets you nowhere in the kingdom of God. He tells them a parable of a wedding feast one of the biggest, most important events in a Jewish person's life in this day. And he tells them, instead of taking a place of honor at a wedding feast, you should take a more humble position. That way, instead of running the risk of being demoted and moved further from the place of honor when someone the host wants to honor more shows up, you have the chance, if you humble yourself, to be moved up instead of moving the other direction and his aim at telling them this is not so they'll do that and get more honor and become more proud remember this is a parable he is using this familiar story to to illustrate highlight for them an important kingdom principle and the kingdom principle is this to move into a place of greatness in God's kingdom to enter into God's kingdom and to be exalted, you do it through humility. It's through being humble. Those who approach God thinking that He's going to give them an attaboy for who they are, for their position, for their, for their works, those with their religious resumes in hand thinking that God's going to be impressed and welcome them in and give them that seat of prominence, Jesus says think again think again it's through humility that we enter in he says in verse 11 of luke 14 for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted the exalted will be humbled by god those who come before god with their own merit in their own strength believing that they're going to be exalted because of who they are, because of their status, because of their, their, their race, or because of, of their works that they have done, they will be humble. Not only will they be denied a chief place in God's kingdom, they'll be denied the kingdom altogether. The humble, however, will be exalted so Jesus lets them know the way to enter into his kingdom is through humility. It's only those who truly realize who they are in relation to the host compared to God. Those who see themselves for who they truly are before God. Sinners 
condemned, unclean, and humble themselves in light of that revelation and throw themselves upon the mercy of God and, and look to and cling to his Savior, only those will be exalted in God's kingdom. And after giving practical advice in that parable to those attending, Jesus gives shocking advice to the host on who to invite. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, instead of inviting those closest to you, relatives that you know, rich neighbors, people of influence, those you're indebted to, or those that you want indebted to you, instead, he says, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind the lowliest and the least, those who cannot repay you if they wanted to because they don't have the place or the means to do so. That would have been shocking for those to hear in that day. Why does Jesus call for this? Well, one, remember, he's showing them their heart. He is showing them that they have the wrong heart for honoring one another. They do it because they want to get something out of it. So he does it for that reason. But he also reveals another important kingdom reality in this parable. He shows us who populate God's kingdom. And who is it, folks? Is it those who are owed the kingdom of God? Are those the ones that are there? Those who deserve to be there? Now, we established clearly last week that if we get what we deserve, if we get fair, we get hell. The only way we get heaven is if God gives us grace. Believers, we get the great banquet in God's kingdom and glory, not because of, of who we are, but because of Christ's person and work on our behalf. Not because we did something special with our life that God has to repay us for. If He repays us for our works, we get hell because our works are evil praise be to god he doesn't give us what we deserve believers praise be to god he gives us grace how should we live in response we should live our lives for him right we should love god with all our heart soul mind and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves we should treat others as god has treated us we should be loving extend grace to show mercy toward the least and the lowly the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind those who are last and least jesus says if we do that we will be rewarded on the last day and upon hearing all that one of the religious leaders at the table perked up, realizing the topic Jesus was discussing is the kingdom of God. And look at what he says in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to them, said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. See, the Jewish religious leaders, they, they love this topic, the resurrection of the just and, and dining in God's kingdom and glory because they were certain they were going to be there. They didn't know if anybody else would be, but they were, they were for sure that they were going to be. They were confident in this. We talked about that a while back. Remember while Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, someone approaches him. I believe it's a religious leader given the dialogue that Jesus gives after. But he goes to Jesus and he says, will those who are saved be few? 
And Jesus then redirects him to an even more important question than that. Instead of you getting the question answered for you, whether or not those who will say be few, you must first have this question answered. Will those who are saved be you? That's the most important question, right? Something similar happens here. The, the religious leader, this religious leader from this prominent position realizes that Jesus is talking about that future day of salvation for the just. It might have been him or somebody else who was there who reclined at table. When they hear God's talking about the kingdom, he pipes up, assuming that he'll be in attendance. And he says this in response, almost like a toast. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He, he makes this comment like a, like a blessing that he speaks over those sitting around the table. They were confident that they were secure in the resurrection of the righteous, that they were going to be in glory with God because of their ancestry, because of their, their keeping of the Jewish festivals, and because of their adherence to the law. They, they not only believed they would be there, but they believed they would have supreme spot, prominent place in his kingdom. That was very much a part of their thinking in this day. This response is what prompts Jesus to share a second parable that we're going to focus on. It's closely related to the first. Jesus is going to burst their religious bubble, which he often did. He is going to shatter false religious hope here. Jesus did this quite a bit, by the way, didn't he? He, he always sought to shatter false religious hope. He never puts his arms around these religious leaders and gives them an attaboy for their, their, their personal efforts and for their own devotion, for their own works. What he did instead was he sought to show them their sinfulness and their desperate need of saving. He never gave them an almost close. He gave them a not even close, right? Remember Nicodemus, he came. John 3, he was an impressive religious leader. What does Jesus tell him? You must be born again. You must be born again. That should be our approach, believers. This is vital to effective evangelism. Anyone who lives with some sort of, of misguided assumption that they're headed for heaven needs to know they are in error. They do. They need to be clearly corrected. We live in a day where people, even in the church, have concluded that as long as you are sincere in what you believe, then you're in the right. You're good. No. Scripture is clear that you can be sincerely wrong in what you believe. Right? Can be. We need to be in the business, believers, of lovingly shattering false religious hope the reason why Luke 13 unless one repents they perish that's what Jesus says unless one is on the narrow road and enters through the narrow door they will not be saved unless one is brought to the end of themselves and is shown their foolishness and their falsehood 
They will not hit their knees in repentance. They will not look to and cling to the Savior. And if they do not do that, they will not join us, folks, in glory. They will be denied the kingdom. Jesus communicates that very truth to them in the telling of another parable. How's that for, a, for an introduction? we got to get going, right? All right, let's get into it. Beginning in verse 16. Luke 14, verses 16 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord, believers. But he said to them, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. And I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there still there is room. Verse 23. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. Father, give us understanding to this parable, and may we apply it to our lives. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand what you have for us in this text. May we respond accordingly, in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice four things about this parable. I want you to notice the invitation of the host, the excuses of the invited, the inclusion of the lowly and the least, and the exclusion of the proud and resistant. That's your outline. We'll go through it. First, notice the invitation of the host. Look at verse 16 again. But he said to him, he said to the one who responded, you know, blessed is, are those who are going to be in the kingdom. He said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Now that tells us something about this man right away. He was a wealthy man. This was a wealthy man who hosts a great banquet. He invites many. Those in Jesus' audience would have no doubt loved the sound of that. Being invited to an event like that by a man like that would have been considered one of the greatest honors in a Jewish person's life in Jesus' day. A large event like this would have required two invitations, okay? Today, when you send out an invitation, you send it out with the time and the place, there to be there, there to RSVP, and that's it, right? Well, in, in this day, it didn't work in that way. While they observed certain feasts and festivals at a certain time of year each year 
For special banquets like this one, they had two invitations. They would send out a general invitation, and then that servant would then be sent back out to those invited, and he would let them know when it was ready for them to come. Okay, So, so Jesus, he explains, he paints this picture for us that, that there has been a number of people invited already, and they have agreed to attend. And then... When the host servant returned to summon those who had been invited, they gave excuses on why they could not come. Now, that would have been shocking for those in Jesus' audience to hear. This kind of event was the highlight of their life. For someone to cancel, especially for, for everyone to cancel, that just didn't happen. Normally what happened was this, they agreed to come unless there was some some a drastic circumstance that kept them from that. They would agree to come, and then they would anticipate that time for the servant to then be sent back out and say, hey, everything's ready, come on, and then they would jump at that opportunity. They, they would live in anticipation of this event. But when the invitation comes back around, Jesus explains all those who were initially invited, they gave excuses. That would have caused those at the dinner table, those religious leaders, to shake their head in disbelief. They would have thought, that's, that's ridiculous. No one in their right mind would, would cancel on an event like this. But Jesus explains they all do, and he gives three excuses. Point number two, notice the excuses of the invited. The first says, I bought a field, and I must go and see about it. A ridiculous excuse in their mind. Where's the field going? right? You can go look at it another day. It's just dirt. This is, this is a prestigious event. Second excuse, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. This would have been a very wealthy man by the, the amount of oxen that, that, that he owned, right? That he was going to check on here. That's a large amount that he was considering there and looking at. He says, for this reason I cannot come. A man of this stature and wealth, he would have been an honored guest at an event like that. So again, they think that's, that's ridiculous that he would cancel. The third excuse is really one that's believable for us today. Look at it, verse 20. I have a married a wife and therefore I can't come. His wife won't let him go, all right? Now, that sounds more believable to us today. Guys, we probably had that happen, but women in this day, in Jewish culture, they did not dictate to men what to, to, to do and the time to do it in this culture. So, again, a ridiculous idea that someone would give that kind of, of excuse. This story just gets more and more preposterous moment by moment. So, so here's the dilemma. There is this impressive banquet Food has been prepared, and no one who's been invited is coming. So notice what this man does, this host does. Point number three, he invites the lowly and the least. Look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. Of course he would, because everything's prepared, right? He's prepared for this large group of people. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor 
and crippled and blind and lame. So, so here we see that these cancellations and rejections will not stop this banquet from happening. Everything's already prepared. Instead, the host invites the most unlikely of people to attend, the last and the least. Like in the previous parable, he invites the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. So again, this story, it moves from one preposterous idea to another. The first is that invited guests would not come to this impressive, incredible event. And the second is that the last and the least would then be invited and attend in their place. Not only that, in addition to that, notice here, the last and the least, in addition to the last and the least in the Jewish community attending, Jesus also lets them know that many outside of their community will be compelled to attend. And they will respond that they're coming and they will be honored guests at this great feast. Look at verses 22 and 23. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. So in addition to seeking the last and the lowly and the least in the Jewish community, this host goes out, his servant goes outside of the Jewish community to the highways and hedges, to the lowly Gentiles, non-Jewish folks, and they would need convincing to attend because Jews and Gentiles didn't hang out with one another in this day. So he says, compel them to come. The word translated compel is the Greek word anankazo. It is an imperative. It means to press them hard. The master tells his servant to press hard on the Gentiles, urge them, implore them to come and enter this banquet so that his house may be filled with the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, and with non-Jewish folks from the highways and hedges. Again, an unfathomable story for the religious leaders to swallow here. This would not happen in this culture in Jesus' day. But again, think about what Jesus is doing here. What's he telling? He's telling a parable. He is using sometimes incredible stories to highlight greater heavenly truths. Jesus is teaching this group of religious leaders what is true about God's kingdom and this great and glorious banquet in God's kingdom and glory at the resurrection of the just and about who will be there and why. Now I imagine up to this point, while the religious leaders probably dismissed the probability of this this scenario ever happening, many of them would probably be in agreement that, that if there was a chance that someone would cancel on a great event like this, they deserve to be excluded from the celebration. What they failed to realize was this. They had already responded in this way. Follow me here. 
This story is all about them. It's about the way they had treated God's Son. The one He sent. And the way they treated God because they rejected His Son. This story is all about them. Point number four, notice the exclusion of the proud and resistant. Now notice in verse 24 that, that Jesus shifts from third person to first person and second person, okay? He's speaking directly to the religious leaders here about himself. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus tells him here, I'm talking about my banquet. And I'm talking about you. Jesus is applying this story to them. He is indicating here that the host in this parable is him. And the banquet he is talking about in this parable is salvation, dining in the eternal kingdom, the resurrection of the righteous, the heavenly celebration that will, will occur among the redeemed. And, and they are the invited guests who have declined this second invitation. They, think about it. God's people, Israel, were, were pre-invited guests to this great banquet in God's kingdom. And while they showed interest initially in, in being in God's kingdom, being God's kingdom people, they were looking forward to the Messiah to come. When his Messiah came and began inviting hearers into God's kingdom through repentance and faith in him, they refused and rejected him. God sent his prophets, then he sent his, his word, he sent his prophets, he sent his word, and then he sent his son to them. While their reaction to God's Old Testament revelation of salvation, or at least their interpretation of it, while it's positive when God sends his last prophet, John the Baptist, and when God sends his son, Jesus, they reject them. John and then Jesus come. And they say, now's the time. Just like the servant. Now's the time. God's kingdom is at hand. The door is open. The meal is prepared. Salvation is here. Come. The religious leaders respond with disinterest, indifference, and rejection. Sad. Sad story. They are the ones with foolish excuses. They choose to trust in themselves and cling to the things of this world and they reject the great host, the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. And how does Jesus respond? He goes to the last and the least, doesn't he? Fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, the leprous and demon-possessed, the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, to the lowliest of Jews, to the Samaritans and the Gentiles, and invites them, and get this, they come. They come. What's the message for the rest? For the religious leaders at the table? 
and others like them. Look at verse 24 again. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Wow. Sad. While at the final celebration there will be Jew and Gentile, this group of religious leaders will not be there. Many of them who assumed they were in and believed those on the highways and hedges were out, they learned the opposite is true. They're out. And those who are last and least are in. Sad story for the Jewish religious leaders because of their unbelief in God's gospel, rejection of God's Son, they forfeit eternal life, they missed out on this great and glorious banquet to come. And the question I leave for you here today and for those of you listening online today is this, will you be there or will you miss out? That's the question, that's the, 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 the great application this morning. Will you be there or will you miss out? Have you responded favorably to the Lord's invitation? He has sent servants to you, people like me and others, in positions like this, who urge you to come, urge you to respond to this invitation. Have you responded? By repenting of your sin and placing your faith and trust in Christ alone. Are you trusting in Him alone? Unless you respond to God's invitation into His kingdom and enter through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, unless you do that, you will perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Jesus' messenger, the last great prophet, John the Baptist, put it in this way. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Are you believing on God's Son today for salvation? He came, He lived, died, rose again, so that you, through repentance of sin, and faith in Him could be saved. Have you repented? Are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? If not, I pray that you would turn from your sin today, fall at your knees before the King of Kings, King Jesus, give your life up and over to Him, and be saved. Let's pray together.